Hello from Brooklyn, New York. This is Rabbinic Redesign, and I am your host, Rabbi Shira Koch Epstein. We clergy leading Jewish communities through this new normal have unexpected opportunities to meet the needs of our people while also realizing our vision for Jewish flourishing. This podcast helps you access new ideas and helpful resources for successful rabbinic innovation. How might we better use old and new technologies to build meaningful community in a time of physical distancing? This week, I spoke with Tony Bacigalupo, one of the earliest experts in community co-working, who had already pivoted to online community building before the pandemic and is an expert in creating meaningful communities online using technology. Hi, Tony, and welcome. It's very nice to get a chance to speak with you today. And I'm going to guess that you are new to our audience of Jewish clergy. You are one of the experts I turn to when we talk about building meaningful connection online. And you also were ahead of the curve in having to move community building from uh, physical space to virtual space when you're, I understand, your very one of the very first co-working spaces that you founded ended its time in a building. So can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what brings you to the work that you do? Sure, absolutely. And thank you again so much for having me here. It's been a wild ride. My story started when I was working from home for a web development firm in 2007. And at the time, uh, working from home was a very unusual thing that not a lot of people were doing. And now, of course, everybody's getting a taste of it. But what I realized back then was that as much as I loved the ability to work from home, not having to commute, not having to deal with traditional office, I needed to get out. I needed to be around other people. And I also wanted personally to feel like I could be in an environment that was different from the work environments that I grew up with. I grew up with a very negative view of the traditional workplace. I saw a lot of people who were miserable going to the office, uh, sitting in traffic, working for a boss they don't like, dealing with bureaucracy. And I just thought this is an unfortunate way to have to spend the majority of our adult years. And so when I discovered the world of co-working, I saw a path to a different relationship with work and a different relationship people can have to each other. So I really hooked into it, got very active, ended up leading the charge to open Manhattan's first co-working space which opened its doors at the end of 2008. Along the way, I did a lot of community organizing. I started a meetup group. I ran unconferences. I've experimented in all kinds of uh, forms of gathering, offline and online, before, during, and after running my co-working space. And over the course of those years, got very involved in the global co-working movement. Now I help other people build co-working communities all over the world. And I have also been transitioning into focusing on helping people foster a sense of belonging in various contexts outside of the co-working world. What I realized was that one of my biggest passions is just helping people to find their people and helping people to create those kinds of communities that maybe they're not finding out in the world. And there's so much work to be done, so much loneliness, so much I want to say like spiritual bankruptcy. There's people who are just needing to feel a deeper sense of connection to themselves and people around them. 
And so there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of things that we can do. There's a lot that's within our power. And that's really where I'm passionate now is showing people how they can take tools and techniques that are available and maybe make their existing communities more effective at fostering meaningful connection wherever possible. Well, for sure, as leaders of the Jewish community, we also care very much about building local communities of meaning, helping people to make meaningful connections. And you, as you said, worked in co-working spaces. You actually had the first one in New York City. You work now fighting the loneliness epidemic, and you host relationship-driven events both in person and online. Could you talk a little bit more about how you can think to translate the meaningfulness of in-person local community into virtual experiences or online experiences? What are the most important characteristics that you can carry over one to the other? Absolutely. And it's a big question a lot of people are contending with right now. And I think we're actually dealing with some of the snapback from the fact that so many people who took their gatherings online did so in a way that kind of failed to account for a lot of the changes that have come with this shift in COVID and going online and everything. So we have to acknowledge, of course, online is not the same as in person. And actually, it goes further than that, where the needs of the people that we seek to serve have changed. Maybe their core desires of feeling connected, engaging in something that generates some sense of meaning, meaningful connection, that same core desire is there. But our medium through which we can facilitate that has shifted drastically. And on the other end, we're dealing with people who are potentially dealing with a lot of constraints around how much time they can spend. They might be dealing with families, young children at home. We've, we've read the articles about that. And of course, there's all the other uncertainty and stress and anxiety that comes with that. But there's still tremendous opportunity if we understand what we can work with. So just for example, when you're in a physical shared space where everyone's in the same room together, that affords you a lot of positives. It means that people can hug and they can wave at each other and they can read their body language and you can see and smell and experience all the same kind of physical environment at the same time. And very few of those things are available to us if we're not able to gather in person. However, if we look at this from just the perspective of saying, well, what do we have? What are the strengths that maybe we can tap into? For one, we now have people in their own homes. And if we're gathering on the internet, we have the ability to get a little insight into the worlds that each of us live in. And I can't tell you how many people I've gotten to know so much better simply by being on camera with them and seeing where they are, seeing their, their, their pets crawl into the, you know, into sight or their kids or, you know, even just you know, pointing the camera around the room. And you and I could probably do this right now, or we could probably grab something right now that's meaningful to us and put it in front of the camera and connect a little bit more deeply in a way that we never could in person. Tony, I have to tell you that one of the things I'm using as a sound buffer is a quilt that my congregation made for me when I left many years ago, where each family in the congregation made a square of the quilt and it was sewn together and it's sitting right behind my microphone. And so when you think about how that blanket would never have come into this work, right? But it connects me to all of those people in that congregation. That's exactly it, right? And I feel more connected to you just hearing you describe it, not even seeing it. And now you add more layers onto this. You feel comfortable at home. You've got that quilt facing you. 
there are a lot of people that do not come out to events for a large variety of reasons, which could include family commitments. It could include transportation constraints. It could include physical uh, constraints, health issues. It could include mental health constraints. It could include anxiety. There are a lot of reasons why people might have have trouble meeting in person, where meeting not in person really, really lowers the barrier in terms of accessibility. Now, there are other barriers we need to account for. And especially when we're talking about some of the conversations we've been having around Jewish congregations and the vast variety of different technological and you know the constraints there, we have to really think about, we're not just talking about a Zoom meeting. Making people sit in front of a video camera synchronously at the same time on video can be extremely draining. Zoom burnout was basically happened like five minutes after we started using Zoom. But there's all these other things we can still do. We can still use Zoom, but we can use it really carefully. We can use the telephone. I've co-facilitated social gatherings entirely over the telephone, where it was all over the audio. I, I did a little welcome. There was music. There were some participatory activities. And I used breakout rooms to get people to talk to each other one-on-one, total strangers, about things that were going on in their life. And people loved it. The connections were incredible. So just to be clear, you used a technology to allow people to be on a conference call, but then to put them in breakout rooms with prompts that allowed them to have meaningful conversations in a way that might be more comfortable than a video. That's exactly right. I used Zoom, actually. But what I did was I just gave them the phone number with the code kind of coded into it. So you could just tap it on your phone. And then you're not on your computer. You're not on any apps. And the idea was as soon as you're in the conference, you put your phone, you know, you could put your phone down and, you know, let go of the screens. And I, that was the first thing I led people on was to actually thank their screens. There was a little bit of a ritual around, you know, appreciating the screens for being helpful and then telling them, okay, it's time to take a break. I'm going to go do something else now. And there's, you know, we can do this with text messages. We can do this with the written letter. Writing letters is a terrific medium for creating connection right now and sending physical packages. I'm actually making little zines right now, little like hand-drawn one-page mini zines. Tony's showing me a little folded piece of paper that actually says, making any decision during COVID. It looks like it might even be handmade. Oh yeah, 100%. And then there's a beautiful drawn graphic, almost like a comic, and some little writing inside that actually tells a story. I'm seeing that it tells a story about people who are feeling isolated during COVID and some ideas about how they might connect to people during this time that they're feeling physically distanced. So it's a great example of something you might even have people make and send to others in your community. And it could also be tied into Jewish traditions and ideas for our particular context. But that's a very beautiful piece that you just showed me. Thank you. That's absolutely right, Shira. And I I actually did some research since we started talking about the high holidays and the practices that are traditionally done in person. And just thinking about sinking my teeth into the challenge of how could we do this safely given the constraints that we have. And I'm far from an expert in this arena, but my hope is that I can talk to a member of clergy or a few of them and just hash it out with them, you know, just have a conversation and get their perspective on it and see if we couldn't come up with at least some ideas that people could use as a point of inspiration to say, well, okay, there's this thing and it really makes sense to do it in person. And it seems hard to imagine that we could do it not in person, but what if we had to? 
how could we make it sacred? And how could we really embrace it? You know, many of these traditions have been around for thousands of years and we want to honor that. Um, but there's nothing stopping us from honoring the roots of those traditions by creating new ones that still feel really important and sacred and meaningful and deep and valuable, even if you have to do it stuck in your house by yourself. And I have to imagine, I am not a theologian. I don't know my history as much as I'd like to, but I'm certain that there were times, very difficult times in history, when people have had to learn how to do this under tremendous constraint. And I feel like there's probably some things we could learn from that. Certainly, the rabbis and the Jewish tradition, we have much to draw upon from our past of times when we've had to use new technologies and adapt to completely changing conditions. So that's sort of where we're getting close to the end of our time together. I think you've set us up to want to have more and hopefully to have some conversations or maybe some hack sessions with you. But before we go, I just want to ask you, you shared a couple of technologies. I want to see if there are any specific tips or tricks that you could offer to our clergy that they could just be a quick takeaway for how they might more effectively build and engage community from a physical distance. It could be a specific way to use a technology, or it could be an exercise you've done that has helped people even in separate spaces to feel deeply connected. If you could just give us a little nugget of something that people might try from your example. Absolutely. I'm going to try not to talk for an hour straight right now. <laughs> I will tell you, Shira, I am a tech nerd. I love trying every new platform. And there are so many technologies that are coming out now. Virtual rooms where you could be in a space and walk your little character to one area and, and suddenly be able to talk to people in one room or another. All kinds of really, really neat tools and tricks. But I'm also somebody who has worked as a project manager and I've thought a lot about the end user and who we're dealing with. And at the end of the day, I'm always thinking about what is the absolute easiest, most straightforward way to deliver something that everybody can use. And again, we were talking about vast differences in ages and technology ability and all of that. So what I would say is use off-the-shelf stuff that's easy, that's well-documented, that everyone can use. Zoom as much as people talk about it as being such a mainstream thing, it's actually an extremely powerful tool. I've run massive multi-hundred person conferences on it for 15 bucks a month. The breakout rooms are incredibly powerful if you learn how to facilitate them well. So, you know, I have a workshop on this, which you could find, but you can go on YouTube and just learn everything you can about breakout rooms, uh, the screen sharing, the polling tools. It's a very, very powerful tool if you learn the nuances of it. And it's such a mainstream thing that lots of people are learning about it. So you should be able to get help from your congregation, somebody who knows it really well, who can help you out. And then just publicly available tools, a really good Google Doc that's shared with your team, that's well-documented, that makes everything really easy, a really good spreadsheet, Google spreadsheet, something like that. You can do a lot with just free and very affordable tools. I wouldn't try to overthink it with technology. Even Zoom, for example, has this phone dial-in ability. So somebody without a computer can participate in a Zoom meeting and it's actually very functional. So I, my, my view on this is keep it simple, think about process and document everything extremely well so nobody's confused and don't make people jump through technological hoops more than necessary. I really appreciate that advice and I think it's really helpful to our clergy who are experts in so many things, but our expertise did not used to have to include the use of technology. And so when we suddenly are trying to bring people together, to connect to our tradition, to practice our rituals, to give people a sense of connection to each other and to our narrative, to suddenly have to learn eight new technologies can be overwhelming. 
And I think your reminder to keep it simple and even to go back to telephone, to paper and pen, but to pay attention to how we're facilitating the questions we're asking and how we're choosing to bring people together, even if it's in a virtual room, to think about those uncommon or good connections we might make. I think that's such great advice for our clergy. I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to get some of your materials linked on our website at centerforrabbinicinnovation.org. I also know that you have a website. If you could just name that for us and spell it out, that would be great. Yeah, it's my name.com, which is a little tricky. Tony Bacigalupo, T-O-N-Y-B-A-C-I-G-A-L-U-P-O.com. You can also just email me. It's Tony at nwc.co. That's my co-working business website. So it's Tony at NovemberWhiskeyCharlie.CharlieOliver. Fabulous. Tony, we're going to link all of this on our materials on our website, and we hope to have you in some kind of conversation with our clergy in the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It's been a pleasure, Shira. I'm looking forward to chatting more. Thank you so much. I love how Tony reminds us that old technologies like paper, mail, and telephone can be as useful for creating community connection as our newer technologies like streaming and video chat. You can find more about Tony and his work on his website, tonybachigalupo.com, which is linked from our website, centerforrabbinicinnovation.org slash podcast. How are you utilizing technology to create and build local community in this time of physical distancing? Tell us more about your ideas on the Center for Rabbinic Innovation Facebook page and check out our event schedule for live conversations, brainstorm sessions, and hackathons on our website. Special thanks to our operations guru, Heather Wolfson, our editor, Andrew Kroger, the Office of Innovation, and our fiscal sponsor, Hillel International. This podcast is a program of the Center for Rabbinic Innovation, made possible thanks to the support of the Jewish Community Response and Impact Fund. 